Hi everyone and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast episode 36. If you are new to this podcast and just tuned in completely randomly, you've no idea what this podcast is about, then the Sweet Spot on a Farm is all about natural health. I talk to organic farmers, organic food producers, fitness professionals, natural health practitioners and simply anyone whose business it is to encourage us and keep us on the right path to keep healthy in as natural a way as possible. After a little break, we're back with the lineup of really interesting guests. Um, I had a few really busy weeks and as some of you know, I'm back to studying. But um, unlike last year when I attempted to home study uh, with an online course, this time around I'm actually back at college. And while it's very enjoyable, it's also quite busy as I try to juggle work at the same time. So I needed those few weeks to focus on um, my college. And so there were no podcasts. But I've realized that whilst I'm finding this quite difficult to juggle, I don't even have any kids. So all those of you who are working and studying moms and dads, I have so much respect for you. And how you manage to do everything is something I don't understand. And I clearly have a lot to learn. October was also quite challenging for other reasons. Um mainly in terms of scheduling with my guests because quite a few of them are farmers and these past few weeks have been a really busy time for them because it's the time of harvest. But with harvest over now, I'm on my way to my today's guests and I'm driving to Hemp Farm in County Monaghan in Ireland to speak to Kate and Marcus from Kama Hemp. Um, Kama Hemp is a company known for their freshly pressed hemp juice, but it originally started with hemp-based building supplies. I think it was back in 2006. Since then, Kama Hemp has grown into supplying and selling juice, CBD hemp capsules, and now even hemp juice powder to their clients, subscribers, and through their online shop. I have so many questions for Kate and Marcus and I can't wait for them to share their knowledge with me. What do we really know about growing hemp as a crop? So I hope you'll all enjoy this podcast as I'm sure I will. This is such a beautiful place to mm. live and the sun's shining and we're sitting here in a glass house surrounded by all sorts of greens and plants and there's aloe vera here and I'm looking at a greenhouse. This is such an amazing place to live. I'm actually sitting here just with Kate because Marcus is a little bit busy but I'm hoping she's going to answer all my questions. <laughs> Hi Kate, how are you? Hi Susanna, it's great. I'm, we're delighted. I'm delighted. I'm the only one here. I'm delighted that you're here and it's a great opportunity to just... Yeah, talk about uh, uh, talk about food and hemp and um, our way of life, the choices that we've made, the life choices, the lifestyle choices actually that we've made. Because actually, what you're seeing isn't just our home; it's way more than that. It is our choice of lifestyle, and this is not actually available to everybody. And it is a huge, tremendous privilege to actually live in the countryside and have access to land. Um, to have a garden and to look after our own food needs it's it's an, it's a massive privilege and unfortunately there's a lot of people who don't have that have the access um, as easily as we do 
So tell me, when you acquired the land mm. and, and when mm. you managed to get to, to get this privilege of being yeah. able to use um, such an amount of land, was it a conscious choice for you to get into the hemp business? How did that come Oh, about? no, God, no, not hemp back then. No, heavens, no. Um, we Well, Marcus's parents owned the land around us. And uh, I, I, all along, I suppose they would have encouraged him, or one of them, there's four of them, um, one of them to come home. And Marcus was the one who actually went ahead and studied um, ag science. So he is an ag scientist. He wanted to take over the farm, basically. Um, but that doesn't always happen the way you want it to happen. Um, so we got, they gave us this little piece of land, which is actually the most marginal piece of land on the whole farm. Um, and we were, we were given the opportunity to do whatever we wanted which was great and we really tried everything we tried our best to create the perfect um, environment for ourselves and this was a green field when we came on here this is an area of special scientific interest of international oh because it's cross-border of international importance so it's northern ireland and the republic of ireland there's five lakes here that are all spring-fed so the water comes up from above. There's no water coming into them. And they are all really important. And they're not influenced from the outside. They have this very, very interesting dynamic going on. And they're very insulated. Um, and they haven't been affected by, in particular, the um, the freshwater crayfish that have been introduced in the rest of the country. And they've taken over these crayfish, are the native crayfish that are in these five lakes here. And they're the only ones left in the country um, and they have this very very interesting um, biodiversity within these five lakes really worth studying and worth preserving so we strictly speaking shouldn't have got planning permission here but we did London County Council in their naivety whatever gave us permission and um, the e they got in trouble with the EPA and at one point, we were about 10 years here. Uh, actually, maybe not as many as 10. We were a few years here anyway. And uh, they, Monaghan County Council arrived, drove in. They didn't give us any warning. Um, they drove into the yard. And there was a scientist from the EPA with them, from Europe, from Germany. And um, we were, I was working in the polytunnel with the children. There was a number of little children running around. And we had just found this moth. An elephant hawk moth. Fantastic specimen. Really beautiful. They're in, uh, do you know it? No. Oh, it's pink and green and white. And it is mind-blowing. And when it's at the full of its plumage, you know, when it's at its peak, uh, they are, the colours are vibrant and it's a beautiful creature. And it's big. It's a big moth. And we had just found one. I'd never seen one before. And Roshi, my daughter, ran out into the yard when this car drove in. And my kids did not run, run to people. They stood back always and, you know, paid attention to see how does my parents react to this person? Is this person okay? They were always reserved, right? Ran head for this car. The people hadn't even gotten out of the car. Look what I found, look what I found, look what I found. So, so excited by the find. And the, the woman from the from Europe, just kind of, you can see her whole face just lit up. 
She had studied these moths. She had never seen a live one. She knew exactly what it was. And she was blown away. Completely blown away. In that moment, she did not need to get out uh, of the car to see what our impact was on on the um, the biodiversity. Actually, that we she she knew immediately that we were having a good impact. We didn't have flush toilets. We were composting everything. All the waste was processed on this site. Nothing left here. So she could see that really, really quickly. Actually, that we had created edge. We had created far more than we had already added in that short period of time, whatever it was, less than 10 years. We had added to the biodiversity, not taken from it. So she was just like, yeah, no, you know what? Okay, you shouldn't have given these people planning permission, but we're not going to move them away. We're not taking their house down. They're fine. They're grand. Let them let them live here. They're, they're fine. They're, they are actually looking after the environment. That was somebody above pulling strings there because they were coming here to move us off the land, to create the natural reserve here that's what they were doing this is incredible yeah this is yeah. incredible yeah and so you were obviously growing stuff back then and we then were we were we well we in the pot we so we the first thing we did when we got onto this greenfield site was move remove the cattle i don't mean the cattle having a place but in that time we needed to re-establish the diversity and the best way for us to do that was to take the cattle off the land because they were keeping they were they their only a cow's only interest is to keep grass we wanted to see some trees grow up and to create an edge and biodiversity and um, more life uh, wilderness pathways and you know a place for the the other creatures that live on this planet it's not just us <laughs> you know um, and uh, yeah so that was what we that was our intention in the beginning to remove the cattle and get get let everything just establish re-establish so we planted fruit trees at the, well, well we built the polytons actually first that was the first thing we did for our own livelihood we needed we needed to have a livelihood so okay well we can do some horticulture and so we were looking we we created a wonderful catalogue back then we of per- uh, it's so hard to start at the beginning. Actually, that isn't even the beginning. The beginning of our story is the permaculture course. Actually, that's where it all started. And that just kind of cracked open our um, exposure to potential, if you know what I mean. The permaculture, the teachers were fabulous. But you could see that right away, because as soon yeah. as you walk in, everything kind of grows as yeah. if it belong to the environment it yeah. doesn't feel like anything nothing feels like it's artificially put there. yeah right yeah yeah so i i was wondering yeah whether you guys have any background in permaculture yeah as a result of the course we looked at design what we were going to create when we got our piece of land how we were going to make a living off the land if deciding to come home was what we wanted to do yes yes we, we were both in agreement there what are we going to do how are we going to survive? Because, you know, what are you going to do? Be a teacher in Clonus? No, that's not going to happen. Um, work in, in the supermarket? No, I don't, I don't think I really want to do that either. So we had to create a situation where we were going to have a livelihood. Um, so we, at that point, so from, from permaculture, we had a plan. And we sat down and created a plan, actually. It's interesting to go back and look at it now. Because whilst hemp was not on the plan at the beginning we never imagined hemp as part of it but it was very much we went from one thing so we went from 
um, the, the original catalogue which was full of permaculture plants so we had the opportunity to plant up loads of plants and then sell and, and have ideas and have people, other interested people get them sorted and we sold um, we sold stoves um, calcolophons in the catalogue and we had wine uh, grape presses and apple presses you know machines for juicing and oh it was a great catalogue and we had tools like spades and everything they were all in the catalogue as well as, as well as all the plants it's a really well thought out catalogue um, so then from that then we went into making reed beds that was became the focus of wetland plants because it's a little wet area anyway so it was easy to grow wetland plants um, and then it kind of from there, we were running permaculture courses ourselves all along. So when you're teaching people about design, you have to look at your own and see, well, is what, what aspects of this are working? And we saw very quickly that um, <clears throat> I suppose the permaculture plants wasn't working for us. Uh, we weren't able to create a nursery for other people we just weren't able to do that so it morphed into um a reed we were supplying the reeds for our own reed beds so we were treating water that was quite a good business actually we treated water um from septic tanks with the reed beds with natural um with plants basically uh where people needed further because of the again the epa were bringing in more strict regulations about re about septic tanks rather and water pollution and the reed beds were the perfect are not were they currently even are the perfect solution for uh further treatment um so then we were growing our own plants for that business and all the while we built this house during that whole period built the house and the straw bale then led on the reed bed business funded the house building and then we were able to see okay, straw bale is a great building material, has a huge amount of potential, but it has massive drawbacks, massive from a conventional how how from how houses are built. Um, generally speaking, people don't build their own houses; they give that authority to a builder, and because we don't have the time or the effort or the knowledge or whatever it is, and that's that's fine, um, but. What the hemp then actually replaced the straw bale for us because it's much more conventional in a way. It, or the the way you build with it is much more conventional. It's just a timber frame house. You just build your timber frame and you put the hemp lime in as the infill. So you create your walls with the hemp lime. It's not difficult. There's loads of builders out there who build timber frame houses. There's nobody out there building straw bale houses. It would be impossible to find a builder who would build you a straw bale house. Um, so timber frame and hemp lime for us became the next experiment, the next business, the next whatever. Yeah, the next pioneering um, project. So it led on from straw bale to um, hemp, hemp. Then we were, well, we when we replastered the whole house, this house with hemp, but we also redid the job on the other building with hemp as well. And we thought, oh, this really does work. So when we got information from 
when we started hearing about CBD, actually, our ears just pricked up and it was like, oh, this is interesting. And then we saw this video about juicing hemp and drinking it um, as a green drink that you get all the beneficial properties, the medicinal properties of cannabis, but you don't get any of the psychoactivity. And so you're still getting the benefit of THC, which isn't just about getting high. The benefit of THC is far greater than getting high, actually. It's much, much more. The benefit of the cannabinoids on the whole, um, and THC is only one of, I don't know, whatever, 160 different cannabinoids in the plant. It's only a tiny fraction of what's good about hemp. Only a tiny fraction, actually. And when we heard about juicing, it was from a man, a doctor, actually called um, William Courtney in California. He was treating his wife with juiced hemp, juiced cannabis, actually, because they were growing cannabis. Um, but he was like, you know, hemp, cannabis are all the same, and they are. It's like the difference between an eating apple and a cooking apple. One is a little bit sweeter than the other. So... We were already juicing, we had our own garden, we were producing, I won't say all of our own food, but a lot of our own food. Um, and food security, our food, yeah, food security was always important to us, always. Growing food is fundamental to our lives, to have access to the food, to, to pick a salad that doesn't even know it's been picked itself. To eat a salad that doesn't even know it's been picked yet. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're so used to picking a, eating a salad that's in the supermarket for four days. Limping, limp, dead, lifeless. We don't have access to um, the biophotons. Actually, they're so important. Biophotons are measurable. The biophotons are the energy from the sun that comes into the plant that the plant takes up we need biophotons it's food is much more than the nutrition the nutrients that are in any given carrot or apple or whatever it is the relationship rather between the plant the sun and ourselves is really important so we have to recognize that and if the plant doesn't have has been picked four days ago, six days ago, ten days ago. Actually, if the plant has come, come from halfway across the world, it doesn't have any life force in it anymore. It doesn't. We have to really recognise that. And so this, <clears throat> all this experience with yeah. growing your own food, mm. how did it help you with growing hemp? I mean, was it? do you think it was easier for you to learn about growing hemp in that aspect? Or did you oh, have yeah, to okay. learn a lot to do things a bit differently? both both of those things it did help us and I suppose what I was originally saying about growing the food was that we were processing our own food we were doing a lot of juicing that's what we were doing um, yes it was a massive learning curve to go from um, beef production and beef and dairy both on this farm happened down through the years so there was zero very little I shouldn't say zero the very little experience of uh, cereal crops here there isn't a lot of cereal grown in Monon and hemp is a cereal crop really at the end of the day um, it's a fibre crop as well, but the the cultivation techniques are the same as for a cereal crop. It's not like um, carrots. It's different. It's Well, we kind of treat it as agriculture as opposed to horticulture. Although in America, hemp is grown 
horticulturally. You know, the way they grow it in straight rows and they plant out all the plants. That's more like horticulture. But we're, we, we treat it more as a cereal crop. So like on an agricultural scale, we use a plant, we dig the land, we, we plough the land and we cultivate the land. Um, so everything's grown organically. So yes, the experience from the garden added to that. Uh, yes, gave us a lot of experience. I mean, I suppose growing organically is probably the harder way. It's got much more, well, it's more beneficial for the soil um, and in time that manifests. It has its problems, but you just keep adding to the soil and it just keeps getting better. So you create, you, you're, you're actually farming the soil rather than the plants that grow there. You're, you're looking, the fundamental um, interest is the soil, not anything else. So, yeah, that has to, you have to kind of think that way when you're um, growing organically. You've got a responsibility to look after the soil, not to deplete so it. So how does it work with hemp? Because yeah. I, I know that if you're um, many organic farmers, they have to <clears> rotate yeah. the fields and the veggie yeah. patches in order yeah. to, to, to keep growing and keep fertilising the soil, make sure mm. that the soil is fertilised on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. How does this work with hemp? Mm. Do you have to rotate uh, yeah. the fields or... Can you grow the hemp for for a while in one field and then then switch or yeah? How does it work? Hemp is hemp is difficult, um because well for us it was difficult. Okay, we were starting to uh, when when we started here on this farm, it's one hundred and sixty acres of conventional land. Okay, it had never been organic before, so we we didn't have we at that point we weren't in control of the whole farm. So we only had a small section of it. So we could only at that point bring that one field into organics, okay? On top of that, another layer of that is that when you're growing hemp, because it's a licensed crop, you need a license to grow hemp in this country. Um, that can sound a little bit scary, and it is a little bit scary, actually. Actually, And I'm, I'm complacent about it now because I've applied for the license so many times. I've even applied for other farmers or help them through the process. I've done it. I could do it with my eyes closed. But nonetheless, it is a deterrent for farmers. They don't, it's like, oh God, no, how do I apply for a license? And you have to go on and educate yourself and find out all about that. But in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, um, you're not allowed to grow hemp by the roadside. Um, so that was going to be a huge problem for us because the one, far, the one field that we chose to go organic was by the roadside. It, in fact, it had two road edges. So it wasn't just a road on one edge of it. It was a road on two out of the four edges of the bloody field. So strictly speaking, we weren't allowed to grow hemp in that field. So we went, and, and uh, there are actually some benefits to living on the border, and this prove, proved, this proved to be one benefit for us, was that our nearest neighbour, is in Northern Ireland. Had he been growing hemp, he wasn't, but had he, he would have been able to grow it on his road, which is the same as our road, but it's just on a different jurisdiction because the rule in Northern Ireland is different to the rule here. Yeah? So he would have been able to. So we went to our local TD. Robbie, our neighbour, can grow on the same piece of la piece of road frontage and we're not allowed to. So we got special permission from the Minister of Health, which who was Leo Varadkar actually at the time, to be able to grow on the roadside. So we got that, which was a real 
cool for us. So here we are with our one field. It took us one year to get that field organic. And then the following year we brought in another 15 acres. And the following year after that we brought in another 15 acres. So by the time our rotation came around to have to rotate that first field, we had organic farm, We had organic land already coming into the, the cycle of organic. So we were able to rotate. But we were under pressure to bring in more land I mean it was good pressure to be under I'm not I'm not giving out about it but it was it's like oh, we have to get more land we have to get more land, which is great for organics like we're, we're bringing in huge quantities of organic land and um yeah because any farmer now that grows for us we say we have to be organic we don't want we, we don't want your hemp so how do you organic. turn non-organic land organic and how often have to, to do rotate. you have to rotate yeah the hemp field? well hemp it, it well ideally it's the same with any crop ideally which is three years. You should rotate every three years. Um, now, we've pushed it on to five years, but we have eventually rotated, rotated. But actually, hemp is a really good break crop, even if you were a cereal farmer growing um, oats, let's say. If you came in, because they're going to have to rotate too. If you come in with hemp in your break year and <clears throat> plant hemp, um, then the following year, you you change the culture in the field because... The weeds are suppressed. The different weeds are suppressed. It's just, it adds, the whole idea of rotation adds to the crops down the line. So it is important. Um, and hemp is such a great, great, great break crop when you plant then back to your uh, initial, or your back, bring your rotation back around again, um, you get this fantastic crop of, hemp, of oats. So it really helps the subsequent crops um, yeah, no, it's great. It's a great. It's really important actually in the whole cereal farming um, to have hemp in the rotation. So it, it, you can look at it from both sides that it's just a break crop in regular cereal growing, or it's the crop and you break it with cereal um, every three or four years, whatever it is. Yes, but it is important. You do have to rotate. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And so, how do you? Turn and how long does it take to turn non-organic field into organic? Well, strictly speaking, it's two years. Um, we got a special dispensation that for that first field, only the very first one, because it had never been sprayed um, with fertilizer, actually. Um, so we went to the organic license, the organic licensing people that, that was um, IAFCA, and and we said. You know, this is the way it is. This is this is is really actually is effectively organic. So they said, okay, one year, and um, you get, uh, you'll get your your full license at the end of the one year. But every other field has been two years actually. So because um, they were fertilized, license in a way actually it is a kind of a licensing. Um, our ability, let's say, to grow. So we have to pay attention to the food safety when we're growing hemp. So they they. They uh, oversee our composting, for instance. They make sure where there's no runoff running off our compost and that we're doing it correctly and scientifically. Um, they make sure of that. And that's that has to happen. That's the correct thing. Because actually, if you just have a load of compost or a load of what you call compost, just chicken manure or something, and it's just running off into the groundwater, it's bad news. So there has to be a proper... Um, scientific way of making compost so yes um, and and you need to make sure that um, the compost that you're adding to the soil um, isn't going to have any bacterial 
impact on the plants that grow. Like if you're adding um, chicken manure, chicken manure is really strong. You don't, you don't, as a food consumer, don't want to be knowing or taking up any of that manure. You don't, you want to know for sure that that's been composted if it's going to be added back to the soil, and rightly so. So that they oversee that, and then, but they give you the opportunity to get your uh, system in place and they push you to be a little bit better all the time the department of agriculture the um organic they they do the same thing they they let you start and then they say okay well you know could you do it any better could you um create a better system maybe you'd be better off with a roof over your composting yard or maybe you would be better um, so over the years, we 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 created we've we've really stepped back and studied composting, and um, because we have to actually because the department need to know we're doing it properly. And so, so how many how many acres of hemp do you grow? Because I suppose you're still um, making building materials with your hemp. Um, yes, we are, but we buy that hemp. Okay. Actually, Susanna, so we don't... all the hemp you grow goes into making your hemp juice and hemp juice yeah. products. Yes, it all goes into the food. So when you're making your hemp juice, because you're so conscious about, you know, making everything fresh mm, mm. And, and having it basically from field to mouth. How did you, because I suppose you had to learn how to preserve the hemp juice in a way that by the time, from the time you, you pick it, you make it, mm-hmm. by the time it gets to your customer, yeah. it may have lost a substantial yeah. amount of nutrients and its benefits. So what was your what, approach? How, yeah. how long did it take you to learn Mm. the the ways how to do it so you actually deliver nutrients to your customers yeah Yeah. and that's a good question because it challenges the whole of the food industry actually how we present the food to our our consumers Um, and we are pushed hugely into pasteurization of everything 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 um, everything that's processed is pasteurized. Uh, sorry, I don't mean everything, but a hell of a lot of food that is processed is pasteurized as a result of the process. Um, so we had to create a food that wasn't, we did not want pasteurized. We absolutely knew that that was not what was going to be, uh, that was going to change the value, we're going to just destroy the value of the food that we were trying to create. Um, so we, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we the HSC, they say, okay, don't pasteurize, but you have to prove to us that that's safe. And that you kind of go, gulp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, yeah, okay, okay. And you have to stick to your guns and it's hard because everything, it pushes you, the whole industry, food production industry pushes you into uh, pasteurization, cooking, um, killing everything. Um, that's what that's what's safe safe um so we ha- yeah you're right we had to think okay what are we going to do here are we going to is is marketing the most important thing for us or is actually food production the most important thing which is the most important thing and we i we didn't toss a coin there was no need to toss a coin we knew exactly what we wanted to do um the food production was the most important thing. The quality of the food was 
absolutely absolute um we were not going to change that so we had to think okay how do we bring this product to the consumer without affecting it now we could have decided to pasteurize um and have a longer life a longer shelf life so that's what i mean by marketing we could have chosen to market it um with a longer life and we just said no that's not what we we could we so we might have been putting it in a plastic bottle it might have been a shot uh, liquid selling it liquid um which is attractive the market makes food attractive it's convenient you just open the lid and you just drink it back and it's liquid you don't have to worry about defrosting it you don't have to do any of that you don't have to worry apart from the fact that what you've just chosen may have been sitting on the shelf for four weeks um when was it actually made when was it real food when was that i don't and i don't think we question this enough actually um you know anything you walk into a supermarket everything apart from the fresh fruit and vegetables everything is processed and pretty much everything is pasteurized so how did you come up with the idea to freeze it well that was the only thing we could do at the time that was the only thing because because hemp comes in uh it's like any food really any any crop grown in this country anyway they they come in at the end of the summer that's it you have to um be prepared for acres and acres and acres of hemp in a very short period of time we have we have now at the time when we started we only had about four weeks we had four weeks to save our crop of hemp create a food and deal with it so that was a mammoth task because after <clears throat> before the four weeks you don't have the um uh so if you in other in other words if you start harvesting too soon um you don't have the nutritional benefit it's not ready and once it goes past once your four weeks is up um it's also going past its best as well so it's forming seed like any plant its desire to procreate is is what drives the plant so it's gone to seed it's run to seed it's 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 a different plant it's the seed then you harvest not the green so we had to deal with fresh hemp green leaves uh the only choice we could do was juice it every day and um get it in the freezer that was going to be as close to the natural state as possible and to get it to the consumer then in its frozen state it it's stable it's there is a difference i i do know there's a difference between something freshly juiced and something frozen or ju- juiced and frozen i i do know that and i know that very well because um when we're juicing it that um the access to fresh hemp juice is like ah oh, this is this is green liquid gold it's ah it's brilliant to be able to drink it fresh uh, and it uh, yeah it is changed it's second best frozen is definitely second best i absolutely know that but we cannot supply fresh juice to the market it's a bit like milk um you can't do it you can't do it without pasteurization you can't uh, no sorry you can't do it on a large scale you can do it to your, for yourself but you've only got 4 weeks so you'd only ever have fresh hemp juice for 4 weeks 
But what are you going to do for the rest of the year if you want to bring hemp in as one of your five five a day? And it's a really, it's really potent food. It's um, and yeah, that's a kind of a tricky word to use, but it's it's very strong, very beneficial, um, packed full of nutrition. On top of, and uh, in fact, the CBD aspect of hemp is only, or the cannabinoid aspect of hemp is only a small fraction of what's really valuable about hemp from our perspective it's the whole plant and that's our that's our motto is the um the sum of the parts is greater the whole is greater than the sum of the parts so that's one of the things i wanted to discuss with you so out of all the different products that you could have chosen yeah with being able to grow such a vast amount Mm. of hemp Mm. why didn't you go for the i mean the market's saturated now with different varieties and strength of different brands of CBD oil, hemp milk, hemp this, hemp Mm -mm, that. mm -mm, mm -mm. What made you choose hemp Hemp juice juice rather than making CBD oil or hemp oil? First of all, we didn't have... We had no drying floor for a start. We were juicers, like I already explained. So our philosophy is fresh... Our philosophy is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, when you extract, just extract, uh, it's a bit like extracting vitamin C from an orange. Mm. Um, you don't go to uh, an, orch- an orange orchard looking for vitamin C. You go to an orange orchard looking for juice or oranges. You want the whole thing. We were we had access to the whole thing. We had we that was that was the beauty of it. We had the whole plant. We so a lot of the people who are growing or who are selling C B D oil don't have access to the plant. They some of them might never have even seen it growing in the field. They have only access to what somebody else has decided is the beneficial part of the plant, the CBD. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with C B D. It's great, but it's there. It's naturally there in the juice. As well as all the calcium, the magnesium, the iron, the fiber, the protein. There is 36% water-soluble protein in the juice. That's phenomenal. Oh, sorry, in the powder. So that's another step, actually. Powder is 36% water-soluble protein. The point you're making is extremely important that the plant and like any other freshly picked food yeah. that we grow ourselves organically it's so full of other benefits mm. and especially minerals mm. and, and proteins mm. that our body actually needs in order to for our organs to function properly to process all these other compounds yeah. that brings us benefits so for us to get the benefits of cbd we need minerals and proteins it only makes sense to actually take the whole plant that contains all of it yeah. that our body needs rather than take one bit and then <laughs> rely on our body having already had the other compounds yes exactly you know, exactly yeah, yeah i know it's it's a bit like go back to the um orange the the imagine i don't know when oranges came into this country but let's say it was a hundred years ago um nobody had ever seen an orange in this country up in the last hundred years ago um and somebody came along and said with a, with a vitamin c tablet and said this is this is this is really great stuff and vitamin c is great we all know that and nobody had seen an orange right don't forget that part of all this we'd never seen an orange in fact oranges were banned actually forgot about that um so 
the, our introduction to oranges was this little vitamin C tablet. And we could see that vitamin C, yes, it was very beneficial, all right. There's no question about that. It's good stuff. And yes, it has. And we need vitamin C. And yes, we should be eating more vitamin C. But we're all sort of confused because vitamin C is only part of an orange. And there's much, much more. And if then somebody came along with an orange and said, this is an orange. You may never have seen an orange before. You may never have tasted an orange before, but it's got loads of vitamin C in it. And it's really tasty. And it's got um, whatever, whatever else oranges have. I'm sure it's much more than just vitamin C. Um, they're very beneficial for us because they're, again, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. If we eat oranges, if we, no, it's not just about oranges, but if we eat a varied diet of whole foods, we have all the nutritional needs of our body. They're met. We don't need, see, replacing allopathic medicine with um, natural medicine isn't actually the answer. Because you can't just change over from our dependency on allopathic medicine because it just creates something like CBD, which is, it's the same mindset. Yeah, and that also invites, I, I feel that it also invites, you know, synthetic production yeah. of these compounds, uh, which is, yeah. it just doesn't That's, make sense it's if it's big, available naturally. Big mistake. I guess it's a bit like going to... <laughs> vegetable shop and asking instead of asking for you know a bag of mushrooms yeah. a bunch of kale and uh, i don't know a head of broccoli to go and ask for you know vitamin d vitamin yeah. K and, yeah and yeah. Uh, and the vitamin c yeah. in a bag yeah you know it's yeah yeah it's exactly it, it that totally makes exactly. sense yeah yeah totally and because sense. we weren't exposed to hemp um because it has been illegal for the past 90 years we we think there's a very great, there's a huge mis misconception out there about the benefits of hemp. We have been narrow, narrow-mindedly steered by the industry, by the cannabis industry, um, into thinking that the most important thing about hemp is CBD. Mm. And that's absolutely not true. It, it's, it's, a fantastic food and we should all be thinking of bringing it in as one of our five a day not as cbd as an extract or an isolate but as a whole food and i'm going to have to cut it up here guys because kate and i talked uh, for over two hours if you'd like to know more about kama hemp and about subscription we will talk about this in the next part of this interview but you can go to www.kamahemp.com that's k-a-m-a hemp.com unfortunately you won't be able to get testers for the frozen juice but you can certainly try the freeze-dried powder but um, if you have had hemp juice before and you would like to subscribe, you can uh, look at Kamahemp website and there are various options for subscriptions. Kamahemp deliver within uh, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland and the UK. You can also find Kamahemp on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. 
and that'll be it for this episode and we'll as I said we'll pick it up next time but I will not leave you without a recipe and one of the things Kate and I were talking about was um seasonal eating and we were talking about cabbage amongst other things so I'm going to give you uh, my recipe for uh, cabbage soup um, which is actually very much inspired by uh, Roisin from the Little House of Calm. Cabbage soup is something I personally make pretty much every week now um, since the weather got so cold and it's something I can eat every day for dinner. Um, A it is really tasty and B it is incredibly nourishing heartwarming it's just what you need on a cold evening so if you are a fan of cabbage you're gonna need one head of large green preferably green cabbage uh, one medium leek one medium onion two medium carrots one large bunch of soup celery half a teaspoon mustard seeds three quarters of a teaspoon of uh, whole cumin seeds and three quarters of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper. Um, it's a spicy one. I forgot to mention that. Um, you'll need a pinch of ground turmeric and two tablespoons of either... Um, I personally use coconut aminos, but you can use... You could also use soy sauce um, if you'd like, or you can just completely leave it out. Um, you're going to need 300 ml of veggie broth or bone broth if you're not vegan. Uh, 300 ml of coconut milk. And a large handful of fresh leaf parsley, pinch of salt and 20 grams of coconut oil. Um, you'll wash and chop the cabbage into thin ribbons and place it into a steamer. Wash and chop the leek into thin circles and pop that into the steamer too. Wash the soup celery and separate the leaves and stalks and chop both. Add the leaves into the steamer and set the stalks aside. Then wash and chop the carrots into circles. Um, don't peel the carrots if they're organic, but do peel them if they aren't. The carrots go into the steamer. And then finally chop the onion and set that aside. Steam all the vegetables until they're tender and bright in color. Melt your coconut oil in a large pot. Add the onion and celery stalks and saute until slightly soft. Then add the mustard seeds, cumin seeds, turmeric and saute it for another couple of minutes until you can smell the cumin. And then add the steamed vegetables and mix it all until it's all well combined and add the cayenne pepper and aminos if you're using them and then pour over the broth and coconut milk. Simmer it all for about five minutes at a low heat and then turn the heat off, season it, mix in some chopped parsley and put the lid on and let it sit for an hour or so um, to let the soup absorb the flavors. Um, it's really tasty on its own, uh, but you can enjoy it with some homemade bread, chapati, raw crackers and a side salad to make for a more substantial meal. And if you don't like chunky soup, you can always blend it into a smooth, denser version. Now, um, this is it for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed that and you'll tune in for the second part of my interview with Kate. Um, I'm going to try and make up for the long six-week gap we had um, and 
within the next couple of weeks release four episodes rather than two we'll see how that goes uh, but in the meantime have a lovely week and as always whatever you do stay healthy until next time bye as every week your host is myself Susanna from the sweet spot music by mark j adair and artwork by Gemma o'hagan thank you for listening <laughs>